broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's the Plan? I have a great show for you today featuring Mr. Kevin Dayton. He's a public policy analyst, and he he learns he knows all sorts of stuff about uh, Salinas and Monterey, and uh, we're going to be talking about the desal plant, rental registry, the new short-term rental tax that's being proposed at the state level. We'll talk water and many, many other things. You're going to want to stick around, for, whether you're in Peninsula or Santa, uh, in Salinas, going to have a wide-range discussion today. This is going to be great. But first, let me remind you that I'm Paul Wyant, owner of Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County and Express. We can help your business find great people. So give us a call today, 831-920-1857, or find us on the web by Googling Express Employment Monterey. And of course, if you're looking for a job, Google Express Employment Monterey and talk to one of our great staffing consultants, either Leslie or Adriana. We'll be more than happy to help you. So Leslie and Adriana there. Welcome to the program, Mr. Kevin Dayton. Hey, thank you, Paul. It's good to be on. And uh, yes, I work for multiple uh, business trade associations in Monterey County and and do the work of uh, checking local government agendas and going to meetings and talking on behalf of uh, business about, uh, uh, you know, advancing economic development, free enterprise. And uh, there are always uh, obstacles and uh, people uh, objecting to that sort of thinking. So uh I've been doing this for many years. Actually, this is my thirty-three year involved, thirty-third year involved in public policy, and I love doing the work. I, I can imagine. So, in, in full disclosure, uh, who are who are some of the organizations you work for? And obviously, you're probably maybe the yin to the yang of uh, of maybe the anti-growth or different. There's people who believe a lot about different kinds of growth, infilled growth here, or no growth. But you're probably the yin to the yang of that, I, I assume. Well, yes, uh, I'm the government affairs person for the Monterey Peninsula Chamber of Commerce, the Salinas Valley Chamber of Commerce, and the Salinas City Center Improvement Association, which is the downtown Salinas district that is responsible for advancing the downtown vibrancy plan. Well, you've you've definitely done well in downtown uh, Salinas. Uh, thank you. So let me ask you a question you're not prepared for, but uh, it came to mind when you just mentioned that. Uh, Trader Joe's in downtown Salinas, what are the chances? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, from what I hear, Trader Joe's looks carefully at the demographics of the area uh, before choosing to go somewhere. And, uh, you know, they have to determine whether or not people who live in Salinas are inclined to go to Trader Joe's and uh, and purchase things there. Uh, my personal feeling is I, I found the city of Salinas and the people who live there, uh, they seem to be pretty enthusiastic about it. And this is across a wide range of uh, income groups and ethnic groups. Uh, I think they should go for it. It would be great. to. One thing that we're looking for in downtown Salinas is a as a grocery store. And as we continue to have, uh, you know, the multi-story mixed use housing built there, people are going to be mm -hmm. saying, I want to be able to go to a grocery store and walk over there on, on the downtown streets and get it. There's potential there. That's for sure. Absolutely. And as I understand it, the, uh, where Salinas Donuts is or was, is that the building where it's going to go? Is that, that correct? Well, that's, that's a rumor. And that building was bought by Taylor Farms. That used to be the old, uh, Greyhound station there. And as you remember, mm -hmm. that building, uh, not blighted quite as long as the, the Brune building was, uh, but that uh, building was falling apart. In fact, uh, Taylor Farms, uh, 
looked at it to see if it could be salvaged with its, uh, you know, uh, the, the iron on it. And they determined that the thing has to be demolished altogether. Uh, but yes. one great thing about Taylor Farms is they've bought a lot of property in Salinas in the last few years. And I, I think that they've made a corporate decision to not maybe get the return on an investment that a typical developer would have. They've, they've got a real interest in in Salinas and making it succeed. And they've played a key role in the rejuvenation of downtown, which you probably remember 10 years ago was full of bladed buildings and boarded up uh, stores. It's really changed there dramatically. Well, yeah, you take uh, Portobello's um, Alvarado Street. Now Heirloom Pizza is going to be going in the Beverly Fabrics building. It's uh, it's delightful down here. It so, is. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, the process was difficult. Uh, the city council did pass a downtown vibrancy plan in 2015. And unless you push relentlessly on it, you're not going to get government to do things. And they had a great group of volunteers with the Salinas City Center Improvement Association who really spent a lot of time in pushing it. They brought me on board in 2017 to try to, uh, you know, squeak the uh, uh, squeak the wheel so that people would pay attention. And ultimately, we got it going. And there are mm-hmm. also people in Salinas, including merchants, who are afraid of the change. But I'd say right now, there's even people from the San Francisco Bay Area coming down saying, I love downtown Salinas with those beautiful and historic buildings. Nice. What's, what's funny is the... The counter argument to the downtown improvement was like, we're not even fixing potholes in East Salinas. That was the counter argument. But I think the the argument, and I and I believe it will end up winning, is that you create an economic engine downtown. You can fill all the potholes you want once you get that economic engine going. And it seems like they're getting it going. So, yeah. There have been people who have run for mayor and for city council. And I think we got a couple on the city council now who've been critical of the downtown development for, uh, saying, oh, the attention goes down there while our neighborhoods are not uh, getting the attention we deserve. I've actually, I've said to those those uh, local elected officials and activists, I will go anywhere in the city of Salinas or Monterey County to tell any commercial district about what you need to do to make your, uh, you know, struggling neighborhood turn around. And it's not all that hard. There's a formula the big mistake a lot of places make is they sit there and they wait for the government to take action. And you mm-hmm. cannot do that. There are too many things that government officials are being told to do, the pressure on elected officials. You've got to have volunteers who are active. You've got to have somebody with ownership for it. And you've got to have people like Taylor Farms who are willing to invest, not expecting the huge returns that a San Jose developer would do. Well, if you could wave that magic wand on Williams Road, I'd one would appreciate it in Salinas. <laughs> I'd say the first thing to do is you got to get the property owners there to gather together and say, we've got to get organized, talk to our local elected officials and get something going here. Oh, but yeah. You can't wait for the government to act. The politicians don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, well, I think, I think Bruce Taylor, to his credit, is like pretty much single handedly, you know, changed the entire environment down here. So, but let's. Right. Let's uh, actually quickly, I have to say something from a totally off subject, but I do need to say it. from last week, we had talked about Pat Hathaway. He is a, he was a ph- photographer and photography collector who lived in Pacific Grove. And I should have mentioned that this, this at the beginning of this, of the show, but we, um, Dan Miller, Mark 
Carbonell, who's on the program today, uh, and I were all talking about it. And we thought that they wanted to turn Pat Hathaway's home into a museum. And I think on on Nextdoor app, and, and Dan was mm-hmm. making a big deal out of it. But apparently, I was corrected by one of our listeners that they just wanted to put his house on the historic register. So no, I, I was uh, making that as a rhetorical reply. What do they want to do? Turn it uh, into a museum? Because I uh, just okay. felt that the the mindset of the people that were you know, chasing after this idea of, of historical registry, you know, it's always like the, the camel getting its nose under the tent. Once you do that, all things become possible. So it was just, you know, kind of, I was just making a flip comment about that. So anyway. I, maybe I ran with it, but I really do appreciate our listener kind of like setting the uh, expectations. That's cool. So um, shout out to Christy. The uh, Now let's get back to our uh, regular scheduled program, Mr. Dayton. You can, uh, by the way, too, if you want to tweet it, uh, Kevin Dayton, just go to at Dayton Pub Policy. So instead of public, it's like pub, like where you get a beer. So at Dayton Pub Policy on Twitter, and he will tweet back at you. Um, so you've, you've probably got a lot of, or the organizations you work with, Kevin, probably have a lot of uh, opinions about the desal plant in marina as proposed so where do you fall on that i mean what size are we looking at how do you feel about monterey one's uh expansion and all this uh well first all these groups support the monterey one water expansion and using the recycled water uh to supply both the drinking water for the monterey peninsula and also most people don't know this uh in the cashover area all those artichokes they have something called the cashover seawater intrusion project uh, they don't. Uh, they they pipe in recycled water for those uh, those crops there. So uh, Monterey One Water is supplying uh, both the drinking water and for the peninsula. And to be clear, there. what what happened there scientifically is they they drew so much from the aquifer that seawater from the ocean actually uh, came into the groundwater as correct. far as casserole. Is that correct? Yes, in fact, and it continues to uh, intrude deeper and deeper into the Salinas Valley. It's a big concern for. Uh, for farmers. And ultimately you get farther inland in the Salinas Valley, you begin getting the uh, municipal water wells and other people's private wells. So uh, it's been a big concern. It actually was first noticed in the 1930s. And uh, mm-hmm. since in 1946, a big report came out from the state saying we need to stop the seawater intrusion. Here we are in 2023 and we're still trying to stop the seawater intrusion. And how you stop it is you just start pumping water into the ground behind the seawater and try to push it the other way. Yeah, there are various things that have been proposed over the years. In fact, in the past, the desalination was proposed as, you know, we take the brackish water out of the, uh, you know, aquifer and uh, we'll be able to uh, push back on the intrusion. Uh, But, uh, you know, hydraulic uh, theories have changed quite a bit on that. The way to stop that intrusion is to stop pumping uh, from the aquifer so that the water won't continue to go in. You got to, you know, that it's called overdrafting. And uh, the the southern part of the uh, Salinas River Valley where it meets the ocean, the state regards that as severely overdrafted, taking out way more water than goes in there. And that would have to stop in order to stop the seawater intrusion. I'm sure the Farm Bureau would have something to say about that. So now... But but instead of getting into that, let's talk about like what size of desal plant do you think there should be? Who should own it? Should it be public or private? Well, here's the thing: is why do you need desalination in the first place? And there's a large group of people. I believe many of them are associated with no growth attitudes, who say we don't need a desalination plant at all. We're going to be able to recycle enough water, uh, wastewater that will be able to have it all. And I'm actually skeptical about it. I've been doing a lot of studies uh, myself, looking at re- all sorts of different reports. 
And I don't believe that the wastewater that's coming in for recycling is anywhere near as the amount that was originally projected. So the thinking about the desalination plant is first, there isn't enough wastewater to recycle to actually meet current and future. Well, that's, that, that leads to like Elastero Lake. Uh, I believe Monterey uh, City is going to pump some of Elastero Lake into the basically into the sewer system so they can recycle that. Yes. Uh, you know, if you really added up all the proposals uh, for water supply and the ratepayers were willing to pay for it, there would be enough water where there would be no cease and desist order. There would be no prohibitions on new meters. Castroville uh, area would get all enough water. Uh, but, you know, water politics is entangled in a lot of issues with no growth and anti-growth attitudes being number one. Uh, that desalination needs to be there to supply sufficient water, even in drought years. And also it's important to have a diverse source of water. You can't rely on one thing alone for water because if you have an earthquake or a tsunami, uh, you'd be uh, you'd be stuck. It's unwise mm -hmm. to just go for one uh, particular water source to depend on. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And I know Michael Delapa, who who's can't come on the um, program a lot of times. He's from um, from uh, Landwatch. He he did a lot of work on. He thinks that the Monterey one could supply the whole peninsula, like you were kind of saying. But I agree that they you need more than one. Uh, source. Do you, what do you think about public or private ownership, or do you even have an opinion on that, of the desal plan? Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, corporations, especially corporations that effectively have a monopoly. Uh, one thing I do like about the Calam presence is they actually want to sell water, and uh, I see them as a check and balance for people who'd say, I, I am very begrudging about supplying water, and I just want enough water to be provided to get by, and if the government runs it, I could get my people elected to local office to make sure that we're just getting by with water forever. So nobody ever moves here and we never have a new mm. hotel built or anything <laughs> like that. So uh, I consider it a check and balance, but yes, uh, you know, uh, uh, being honest with you, uh, I like competition, free markets work with competition and nobody's competing against Calium for water. So we're sort of stuck. Uh, same thing as electricity. Uh, you know, I, I actually sought an appointment on the on the Monterey Peninsula Water Management District Board, and my big push was we've got to figure out how property owners can free themselves from the tyranny of these public utilities. It's the same thing with solar. Uh, you know, the the microgrids and the solar on the roof. We've got to we've got to detach ourselves from so much well, dependence there, on there on is uh, California Central Coast Energy. They're a little bit they're a small player in that. I think they yep. do a little bit. And then uh, there's there's companies like Alco Water here in Salinas. So that's right. interesting. And yeah, so we, Cal Water in Salinas as well too. Absolutely. I uh, yeah. So you're listening to What's the Plan on 101.1 FM and 1460 AM. Let's shift it a little bit because I have something Mark I know is uh, really interested in this, and I am as well about short term rentals. And there's a uh, Senate Bill 584, so SB 584, and I believe it's passed one chamber at the state level, correct. and it's being considered by the other. And what it is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, is they're going to impose a 15% tax on short-term rental owners, uh, and that money is going to be used, I believe, to build uh, either agriculture housing or low-income housing is that so? I, I don't know. Why don't you explain what your Correct. understanding? Yeah, of the sure. Is? And yes, it, it did pass the uh, uh, California State Senate twenty-seven to eleven and went to the Assembly. And you're right about that tax. And you certainly know from uh, Monterey County uh, unincorporated areas and places like Pacific Grove, big fights over uh, the uh, positives and negatives of short-term rentals. 
And uh, this is a bill that has decided, and it says right there in the findings that short-term rentals are bad for communities, and they're going to put this 15% tax on it. So to be, to be clear, I think that, okay, so I'm going to be in defense because I want you to be the devil's advocate, or I'll okay. be the devil's advocate. The reason they want this bill is because they believe if they impose a 15% tax on short-term rentals, it will discourage people from using their houses as short-term rentals, and then they'll use them as long-term rentals, which will then increase the housing supply, lower the rents, and make make it a veritable utopia for everyone. Now, what's that's your side of that? Right. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a uh, people argue short term rentals, first of all, uh, are uh, unfair competition against legitimate beds and breakfasts and hotels. Uh, also, unfortunately, short term rentals sometimes can be used by people and they have big parties uh, that result in uh, disruption or in some cases, including in Monterey County, actual, uh, you know, gunfire uh, and, and violence occurring at them. And people don't want those parties in their neighborhoods. And some people are notorious for renting out their houses for that sort of thing. So there's positives and negatives. Uh, you know, obviously, if you uh, you have some property rights and uh, you may want to rent out your, your house as a short-term rental when you're not there. So there's positives and negatives. However, when you look at this bill, it's very interesting because you would think that it's, uh, you know, sponsored by housing advocacy groups. And then you see that the, the source of the bill is, of all things, the State Building and Construction Trades Council, which is the construction unions. So you got to go looking for the fine print in there. And what it what it happens is this tax money goes to a fund, and as you mentioned, it's going to build public housing, and the unions get a monopoly on it with a project labor agreement. So what it is is eventually it's a it's funding a program to uh, build things that have to be built by union workers. Yep. Wow. And Paul, so it's really <laughs> a union bill. It's a labor bill. Yeah. And, and one of the great hidden, lies hidden as a way to help uh, are, you know deal with the housing crisis. Are we sure Lorena Gonzalez out of San Diego didn't do this? She's the AB five person. I mean, <laughs> she's a big union board, person. Sure. Yeah, she she's a union person. Well, the, what, yeah, what were you going to well, say, Mark? Interesting okay. enough, the the California Federation of Teachers is on it too. Yeah. So you got the oh, whole crowd of uh, you know uh, uh, organized labor for <laughs> this bill. Yeah, this Senate bill wow. was this Senate bill was introduced by one man, member of the Senate from LA, and then also uh, Anna Caballero, who represents part of Salinas and the San Joaquin Valley um, in in this. But the the big lie that is used to push this, and and it's really a big lie about STRs, that STRs deprive communities of affordable housing, and nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I'll I'll you know, disclose, I actually work as a manager of an STR out in Carmel Valley. The vast majority, I'd say well over 90% of homes that are used as STRs are high-end homes that you might qualify them as luxury homes. So, there isn't any way on God's green earth that a home that would normally rent for five, six, seven, eight thousand, ten thousand $10,000 a month is in any way to be considered affordable housing. The kind of people who can afford to rent the home that the people that I work for own in Carmel Valley can well afford to find housing in the open market. We're not talking about taking a, you know, a rundown apartment building in Seaside or East Salinas that you know would constitute maybe affordable housing for someone and turning that into an STR because quite frankly, people don't come to the Monterey Peninsula and want to stay in a shack. 
They want to stay in really nice places, and they are willing to pay the price for that, $500, $600, $700 a day, similar to what you would pay to stay at the lodge or you know one of the fancy hotels, bed and breakfast that we have in the area. So first off, the, the sponsors of the bill blatantly lie to the public and say that, that STRs deprive communities of affordable housing. Uh, the, as I mentioned, aff- STRs are primarily high-end homes that rent for large amounts of money if they're being used as long-term rentals. And this 15%, Paul, goes on top of whatever the current TOT rate is. So if it's a 12% TOT in Monterey or you know unincorporated Monterey County, 10%, and you put that 15%, now it's 25% of every dollar that is well, what, going what, to be There's a couple here. things about this, Mark, that kind of uh, gall me a little bit. Because first off, like in events like US Open or the Pebble Beach, uh, you know, Car Week and all these things, or or the uh, AT&T um, Pro Am, those they they provide a exceeding capacity. I mean, STRs provide a, a larger capacity of tourists to come in and spend money in the on the peninsula. Secondly. This could all be fixed really easily without messing with STRs. You just increase the height restrictions in, in say, Monterey. So if you allowed them to build five-story apartment buildings or five-still mixed-use buildings in Monterey and Seaside and all these other places, and then deregulate a little bit to make it attractive for uh, developers to do that, there's not a developer in the world that wouldn't want to build a five-story mixed-use building anywhere on the peninsula Mm -hmm. if the regulations were, were lessened and and the, all those height restrictions weren't removed, and it wasn't just a thicket of of just bureaucracy. And I don't I don't know, Kevin, if you want to comment on that, because that's yeah, the real well, problem. problem. It's uh, hard to build. It's hard to build here. I I argue, and this is a somewhat controversial uh, uh, point, that the reason why housing doesn't get built on the Monterey Peninsula is because democracy works. And I believe the majority of people on the Monterey Peninsula don't want any more people coming here. Well, that that would explain like 68 can't be a four lane road. We'll go. We'll let Imgen become a four lane road, but not 68. You know, it's. it's I can understand people spend a lot of money to move here from the Bay Area and Los Angeles, and they come here with a certain uh, standard of the quality of life, and they're concerned that if more people move here, it will turn into what they fled. They've put a lot of money into this, and they want to fight any change. So they don't, don't they don't want Santa Cruz is what you're saying yeah. Right that's right and they're they're happy that all their service workers and all the people who do the routine work around here have to sit on 68 and one every day in the long traffic coming from Salinas <laughs> and, and pump and pump carbon into the atmosphere by the way. All right. <laughs> no. yeah, well, you're, you're right it's not good for the environment. Um, uh, I wanna, any, I wanna, that five story thing I love it. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think the city councils would be repeat, recalled if they started doing that. Yeah, we'll I think, well, the whole reason I, Clyde Roberson was elected was because of a, a large building in Monterey called, well, it's now the Marriott. But uh-huh. let's, shift, <laughs> let's shift gears a little bit here um, to rental registry, which is, again, about housing, water. We're actually, basically, this whole show is about housing and water, as it turns out. Um, the rental registry in Monterey, I know you've been following this closely, uh, uh, Kevin. And, and Mark, I know you, you have uh, some thoughts on this as well. So what do you think, Kevin? Yeah, well, first, I, I first got involved with the rental registry because uh, Salinas City Council uh, passed it earlier this year. They had first considered it in 2019. And they created uh, their uh, technical advisory committee that I was on, including a lot of people from a wide variety of perspectives. And we ended up coming with a consensus where you put in some very basic information to the city about your rental property. 
and it's basically used, uh, the point of it is for, uh, you know, emergency uh, services. And also, to be honest with you, in Salinas, there are rental housing where it's clearly substandard. And, uh, you know, uh, the truth is, uh, you know, you know, is it, is it the role of government to try to, you know, control substandard housing? And some of it's pretty bad over there. But in the end, uh, we reached a consensus on it where nobody was quite happy, which I think is often the best result for, for uh, legislation. And they've got it there and they're in the process of implementing it. Now, in Monterey, where we don't have that same amount of substandard housing, where 20 people are stuck in a, you know, uh, a house without, uh, you know, running uh, water, uh, here it's more. Uh, blaze, brazen or explicit that they're gathering a huge amounts of information about uh, rental property to use as a basis for an argument for rent stabilization, which is to control the amount of uh, that you can increase in rent uh, each year. Uh, the thing that's happened though is I, I think that they were the people pushing this expected thousands of people to come to city council meetings and call for, you know, rent control. And uh, it hasn't happened. What it ended up doing was agitating all these uh, mom and pop, you know, uh, uh, families who have uh, lived Landlords. here all their lives. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, especially the, uh, you know, close-knit Italian community that's still, still here aging, but they're still here. Uh, in fact, I rent house from one of them. Uh, they uh, it activated them. They woke up. A lot of them didn't even know that who their city council members were anymore. Well, now they do, and they've been showing up in force. So I'm wondering if this whole thing is going to fall apart. But uh, uh, you know, it's one thing to collect some information to make sure that people are following the law. There's another thing to get information to be intrusive and. My personal feeling is I, I don't want the government having the names of all the property owners and their tenants and how much they're paying. Anybody can get that through a Public Records Act request, and you know you can abuse that all the ways you want, including yeah. threatening so threatening lawsuits unless you get settlement payments. Mm. Well, Zillow could use that information, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think it's just you know what uh, we'll see what happens, but I don't think that. Uh, it's interesting enough, a lot of people rent in Monterey who do speak out on it saying, you know, I've got a pretty good uh, uh, relationship with my landlord and I don't really want the government coming in here and, and interfering with it. Uh, we've got a good thing. Certainly there's, it is tough when, because the, the supply doesn't meet the demand. And my answer to this is, hey, if we're having a problem where, you know, supply is exceeding demand, maybe you've got to increase the supply and th focus on that instead. But, you know, people like the mayor are saying, we're not going to increase supply anytime soon. So we've got to control price. Well, there yeah. there is the state mandate to build all this low-income housing. Correct. I, something like 1,100 in, in PG and, and a, I forget the number for for Monterey, but um, yeah, so, so 3, you 3,654. 3,654. There you go. I, well, see, you seem to argue both ways, though, Kevin, because you're saying in one time you're like, oh, I increasing the supply of housing, or maybe you were just speaking on behalf of people who are existing property owners that they don't want to change the character of the city by increasing the the infill housing and like you know higher density housing but where do you personally what are the the people you advocate do would they like to see a higher density of housing i mean I, I personally yeah. would and i i i brought up the point because i try to understand the uh the arguments of the opposition and mm -hmm. why you know people will show up in mass at a city council meeting to say i don't want any more housing built in my community it's mm -hmm. an environmental argument i'll tell you on a personal level i uh I believe that uh, using the government and, and to stop housing development, uh, it's anti-free market, distorts the market, and has created a lot of the problems we have. And, and you're getting... 
ADUs. I mean, you're getting all these ADUs, which I don't know if they're really a good thing for the community. I mean, I, I think an apartment building or a mixed-use building would be way better than a bunch of ADUs. But anyway. Yeah, so the ADUs are sometimes good for, uh, you know, people who are retired and they live in a little house behind, uh, you know, their kids. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, absolutely. I actually uh, like the idea. What I don't like is it's pretty obvious that controlling uh, water supply is uh, a very effective way to stop housing from being built. And I, I would assert that if we ever reach the point where there was enough water to re- to get rid of that so-called cease and desist order, or you can't you know, put more meters in, I think a lot of people on the Monterey Peninsula actually like the cease and desist order. They like the limited water supply that can be used to stop uh, development. But as far as I'm concerned, all you're going to do with that sort of thing is I'm not sure it improves their quality of life. It does clog the roads. And, uh, you know, the, the question is, uh, you know, who's, who's, who's giving you, who's, uh, you know, working at the grocery store, who's, well, uh, you know, at the front desk at your doctor's office. It does, Kevin, in defense of the water credit system, it does employ like 10 or 15 people at the water district. So there's <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Because they would disabolish that. I mean, I assume that if there was enough water, they wouldn't have the water district. It's a job anymore. creation program. Yeah. <laughs> See, so you didn't think of it that way. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, hey, Mark, did you, what are your thoughts on either the rental well, registry or the uh, the housing, the low income no housing? More, um, I don't have any more thoughts because frank sinatra singing in the background and we got to get out of here oh my goodness well kevin dayton it was great talking to you this talked week. on the issues i know <laughs> what the heck we didn't cut but kevin dayton, tweet him at dayton pub policy so go to twitter at dayton pub policy i'm paul wyan owner of express employment professionals google express employment professionals monterey and you'll either find a job or find an employee we'll see which way we go when you when you talk to us uh mark i want to thank you for always being a steadfast partner in crime so uh greatest